You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. This is our last week on the Lift series, and we're going to be diving into Titus chapter 3 next week. We begin a Christmas series, and uh, you get, it's called an 8-bit Christmas, and I'll explain that later on. So uh, the, this island where this letter originated, um, it's a rocky, beautiful island. It's called... Crete, and it's just just off of Greece. It's about 90 miles from Greece, uh, about 150 miles from Athens, once an island of great culture and wealth and music and influence. Uh, it, over the course of time, due to volcano and uh, earthquakes, it had become an island of pirates, freebooters, and drifters. And now uh, Paul and Titus had gone there. They started to lead people to the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And as they began to set in churches, um, Paul felt led to go to the next place, and he left Titus behind. He says, Titus, I'm going to leave you back. You finished the work that we started. And so this letter is a letter uh, from a spiritual father, Paul, to his spiritual son, Titus, who is now the pastor of pastors on this island, and he is trying to basically pastor former pirates. He's trying to pastor people who don't have a good reputation. In fact, all over Rome, Crete is known as dishonorable opportunists, people who were looking to use and abuse other people, but they were coming to know Christ, and churches were growing all over Crete. And here's Paul writing this letter. So previously on Titus, the church overall at that time was during a time of of fast growth. This is roughly 60, 65 AD. So this is before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, The church is growing, but it's great discrimination, great persecution, and there were traveling preachers all over uh, the Christian uh, world, and and some were good, some were bad, and a lot of these letters written by Paul and Peter and Jude, um, and uh, I'm sorry, and uh, James were written to discuss some of these wolves that were out there. Um, So overall, this is a letter written by Paul, uh, passing down official church uh, organization leadership challenges, uh, written to Titus, who's now the overseer of the churches in Crete, written for encouragement and instruction. He's now discipling new followers who had bad habits, so this letter deals a lot with dealing with the habits and and learning to, to, to get new habits. So three chapters Three little tiny chapters in this uh, series, uh, three little weeks on this Titus book alone. Um, Here's the big idea. New believers and how to pick godly leaders and how to live godly lives. That's pretty much the whole gist. Uh, Chapter one dealt with leadership conduct. Two and three deals with Christian conduct. So let's pick up where we left off. Chapter three, verse one, final week. Here we go. Three words, remind the people. Today, Paul finishes this tiny letter with this phrase, remind the people. What we're going to give you this morning is seven reminders that Paul gives Titus to tell us, to tell the church and God preserved for us. So uh, what we're going to do is seven reminders from Paul to us. And, and in this little tiny, little, you know, 14 verses, we're going to find some really big things that we got to remember. Here we go. Number one, seven reminders. This, verse one, remind the people 
to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Some translations actually say to be subject to the government and governing authorities. It says, uh, teach the people to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, leaders, neighbors, friends, strangers, anyone. When it seems things are going to crazy town and a person seems out of, out of control, we are to instead, he says, but to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. So there's this have gentleness and humility with everyone, regardless of what the world looks like. Why? Because number one, Paul is telling us, he says, remind the people that God is always in control. The challenge is remind who God is and that he is always in control. See, there's a, a direct challenge right away. He says, God says, listen and, and submit to your local and to your governing authorities. Why? Because God is always in control. Now, it does not sound easy in the world that we're in right now. For some of you, it's a celebration that happened in November. And for some of you, it's, it's, it's worry and concern. You know, and, and we, we look at some of the issues going on uh, around our country, and we have corrupt leaders, and we have great dynamic leaders, but they're all mixed in, and we don't know who to believe. We don't know who to trust. We don't know what's going on uh, in our world. And the Bible says to be subject or to obey the rulers and authorities. It doesn't sound easy, but it especially was not easy for them you got to realize that they lived in a time that was terribly violent towards Christians. They arrested Christians, beat Christians, martyred Christians, or we call them martyrs, they just call it justice. They murdered Christians. They put Christians to death, and, and the culture was evil. I mean, uh, promiscuity was the norm. Uh, pagan churches were basically places of great orgies and sexual perversion. Most of their pagan temples were to sexual beings. And so for them to worship, we come in and we worship and we sing songs and we just love on each other. Pagan worship was different. It was very sexually oriented. And so you have a very violent and perverted and evil culture. And then in Crete alone, this little island in Greece... Most of the local authorities were former pirates or pirates already. And so the, the, the local authorities of Crete were very corrupt. So Paul says, remind the people to be subject to the authorities. Remind the people to be subject to the governing authorities, the rulers. Why? Because God is in control. Here's some verses I read a few weeks ago. It'd be a good point right here. Is 1 Peter 2.13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it be to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Romans 13.1, Paul tells the church in Rome, the, basically that was the Washington, D.C. Of, of the Roman Empire. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is from God. The authorities that exist have been appointed by God. Now, 
there are what are known as issues of civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is where uh, God uh, gives allowance for you to disobey the governing authorities. And how and when you do that is determined on whether the government is instructing you to do something that God forbids. That is civil disobedience. We are to do that. Or if the government is oppressing and showing injustice towards those that cannot uh, look out for themselves. We are to stand up against injustice, especially for those who are innocent and cannot protect themselves, and we are to obey God's law over man's law. However, just because we don't like the laws, that does not mean that we can be disobedient towards them unless they contradict God's law. So the idea here is that God says, obey your local authorities. It's going to go well for you. All right, and this is a challenge that, that Paul says, remind the people. Another thing that he says when he says not only remind the people, but he says also to not slander them, to be peaceful, to be considerate, to be gentle to everyone. I want you to know this, that God is, is, has every circumstance under control. So when you think about that person at work that is just out of control or that person at school or that situation in your family and you think you want to just kind of, stop it and, you know, just kind of hammer it down or, or you want to talk badly about that person at work, you want to talk about badly about that person in politics or you want to talk badly about somebody, the Apostle Paul says, remind the people not to be people who slander anyone, but to live peaceful and considerate lives, always be gentle towards everyone. Everybody say everyone. Toward everyone. Why? Because God is in control. It's not always easy to be kind when we are being attacked or when we don't like something or when we don't understand something, but hold your tongue, turn down the drama. God is in control. That's the challenge here. Remind the people who God is and that he's always in control. Jesus echoes this in Matthew 5, 44. He says, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In Luke, he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Christianity is not a faith of retribution, but of restoration and peace. That's why Jesus said again and again, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see the kingdom of heaven. Guys, you want to see heaven on earth in your life? Be people of peace. Don't slander. Don't be inconsiderate. Be people who are gentle and gracious and humble towards everyone. Say everyone. Everyone, there's no exclusions on this clause here. So Paul says, remind the people. You got to remember, they're on an island filled with freebooters and pirates and people who are just downright difficult people. And Paul says, remind the people to be nice to those guys. Be nice to those families, to those girls. To be nice to those uh, people. Because it reflects Jesus best when we do. Number two, he says this, remind people, remind the people who they were before Christ. He says this, for example, he says, remember, at one time, you too were foolish. You were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived, past tense, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I want you just for a minute, he says, 
I want you to remember where you came from. I want you just for a minute to think about what you were like before you met Jesus. Some of you as teenagers, maybe you don't have a before Jesus really to look back to, but if you're an adult, you probably have something that you can think about. I want you to think back to what it was like. What was your vice? What was your addiction? How did you talk? How did you treat people? What was your language like? What was your attitude like? How did you treat others? Take a walk down that road again for a second. I want you to, I'm serious. I want you to think hard about what kind of person you were before Jesus. Some of you, it was, it was alcohol was your issue. For some of you, it was drugs. For some of you, it was just, you were mean. You were just a not a nice person. You were, you were nasty. Some of you, you were perverted. Some of you had a foul mouth. And man, Jesus just intervened. He says, remember, you were like that too. All these people that just drive you nuts. He says, remember, that was you too one time. He says, remember who you were before Christ, your attitude, your actions. What rat hole were you rescued from? He says, when we remember what we were like, we can have more grace for others because we know what it's like to be lost and to be in need. And so this is the third thing. He says, remember uh, what Christ has done for you. Now that you know what you came out of, I want you to remember what the price was to get you out of that hole. I want you just for a minute, I want you to think back and I want you to, to see what you have done and then I want you to take a look at the cross for a minute. I want you to look at your life, I want you to imagine your life and behind you hangs our Savior on the cross with his blood shed for us. I want you, he says, remember what Christ has done for you. And then he says this, he says, but, and I love this, there's always a big but involved when it comes to us, right? He says, man, you were jerks, he said, before you were Christians. Man, before you were Christian, you were a jerk. You were not pleasant. Maybe you were a nice person to the people that you liked. But he says, I want you to think about what you were like before. And then he says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, I love that. And the kindness of God, the love of God, man, that's Jesus. He said, but when Jesus is the kindness and love of God defined persona, Jesus is. When he appeared, when Jesus walked on the scene, that's the kindness and the love of God. He appeared. So when the kindness and love of God appeared, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal uh, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And we are saved not because of anything we have done to deserve it. We don't deserve it. Think back of what you were like before Jesus. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Some of us, the rat hole was bigger than others. For some of you, you were just starting to dig a hole for yourself. Others, some of you, you were like moles. You were deep underground and muck and sin and shame. And it doesn't matter whether you were just getting digging or you were three feet underground or six feet close to death. The Lord pulled you out, not because you did anything to deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's only by his will. It's only by his favor pulled out of the mud. We were guilty of sin, deserving judgment. Instead, Jesus generously, generously poured his blood out on a cross for our sin. He says, remember what Christ has done for you. 
Think about it. Get it in your head. Never forget that. That's why we have communion available every week. Jesus, that night that he was to be betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he broke that bread and he, he blessed that fruit of the vine. He says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. This is my body. This bread is now my body broken for you. This is poured out for you for the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he said this. He said, do this in remembrance of me. You see, we come in here every week and we just, man, it's another week. We're doing a church thing and we forget the blood that was shed. We forget the body that was broken. And so we have that reminder back there as a constant reminder, whether you take advantage of that or not, it's a constant reminder that we're here for the broken body and the shed blood. We're only here because he paid the price for us to be free. Never forget this. So we do it in remembrance of him every week as much as we can. And, and I want to encourage you to take that moment during worship or after, before service, and remember that's why you're here. A few dynamic words in this little passage, and some people, they preach just on this passage, and I want to hit it really quickly, but in your notes, it's under a category called dynamic words. Let's take a look at them. In Titus 3, 4, it says, But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, says he saved us. Everybody says saved. Saved, that means rescued from our sin, our self, our shame, and our sentence. We are saved. A lot of you have heard that phrase before among Christians. Are you saved? You don't even know what that means. We're saved from our sin, our self, our shame, And the sentence, the sentence of judgment that was placed upon us because of our sin, we're saved from that. And he said, man, we are saved. So I have a question for you, not to sound religious, but to sound biblical. Are you saved? Are you saved? The next word, he says in verse 5, we are saved not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Everybody say mercy. Mercy. That mercy, that means a compassionate pardon. That means we don't get what we deserve. I'll tell you what we deserve. I'm guilty of sin. I deserve judgment. I deserve a very real place of judgment. The Bible describes and calls that place hell. There's a very real hell. And there's a, there's a place, and it was never designed for humans to go. It was, it was designed for fallen angels, for Satan and those that followed after Satan to go. But the Bible tells us that because of our sin, We are already resigned to a place that was never designed for us. You see, it's not that God can't wink at our sin because this is not about excusing mistakes. This is about people who are born dead. And because of that, we are dead in our sin and we deserve the judgment of God. We are sinful creatures. I deserve it. But in his compassionate pardon, he gave me mercy. I didn't deserve it. It's not because of anything I've done. It's not because of my efforts or the fact that I, you know, read my Bible or give or, or go to church or don't, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, or don't go out with girls that do, you know, that sort of thing. Maybe you, your parents ever tell you that. You know, that's the whole idea. Is it, it's not because of anything I have done. It's only because of his mercy. We don't get what we deserve. And then he goes on. By his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Let me explain that word. 
The word rebirth, some translations say regeneration. The word means reborn. Jesus calls it in John 3, born again. Here's the deal. We're born dead, but in Christ, we are born again. We're dead in sin, born alive in the spirit. You see, when Jesus poured out his life for us, we have this opportunity to be reborn, a fresh start, a new beginning. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. That is what rebirth is about. Man, some of you guys, you need a fresh start. You need a new beginning. You need to be able to, to bow the knee and see that your life can have a redo, a reboot, a start over. That's reborn. That's born again. I have a question for you. Not to sound religious, but to, but to sound biblical. Are you born again? Jesus said in John 3, he says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Because we're born dead in the spirit. But through Christ, we are born anew regeneration, a new life. And then he says, we are born with the washing of rebirth and renewal. Renewal, that means you take something that's broken and you make it new. And I love this word because what it literally means is that God takes something that is broken and he makes it right. He renews it. It's expired. Your life is expired, but he renews it on his dollar, on his dime, through his blood. So I have a question for you. Are you broken? I know a healer of the heart and soul who can make you new. And then he goes on, he says, and this is done by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who is that Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God when he moves in. That's God taking up residence in the heart of a regenerated life. And someone who's born again, the Holy Spirit moves in. Working in and through us, poured out in us and poured out through us to lead us, guide us, instruct us, and make us new. The Holy Spirit isn't called the you'll get by spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit because he's there to make us holy and how we live and respond. That's what Titus is all about, how to live a new life through the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, he says, so that having been justified by his grace, two words I want to look at, justified, the two great words, justified. If you were to define justified, this is what I mean. These are big words, and all of them are in this little tiny passage. These are the word are called theological words or doctrine words. Justified or justification, if you were to define it, means this. It literally means it's just as if you never sinned. Justified, just as if. It's when, when you give your life to Christ and you are made new in Christ and you are regenerated and you are born again, you are redeemed, you are renewed, the gavel comes down and says, not guilty. All that garbage, all that crap you did before you were a Christian, the gavel comes down not guilty, and it's just as if you never sinned. You are justified through the grace of Jesus Christ, declared not guilty. And that word grace is goes right in hand with mercy because grace is undeserved favor. It's getting what you don't deserve. While mercy is not getting what you deserve, judgment, grace is getting what you don't deserve, and that is forgiveness and the love and the grace and the hope of eternal life through Christ. It is undeserved favor. 
God's amazing grace that saved someone like me. That's why he says, remember what you came out of. And then I want you to remember the price that was paid to get you out of it. And he says that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That word heirs means basically we get to inherit something that our dad owns. You ever heard of an inheritance before? Inheritance is something when somebody in your family passes away and you're on the will, you inherit their possessions. You get to have what they have. It's as good as yours. Full rights, 100% to that house, that yacht, that car, that money. That's your. You inherit it. It belongs. No strings attached. It's yours. When we, through the grace of Jesus Christ, bow our knee, when we understand the redemption that Christ has paid for us on the cross, when we become born again and turn from ourselves and turn to Christ and we are made new through the Holy Spirit, when the grace of God overwhelms our life, we become those that inherit an eternal hope. We inherit, we become heirs of the riches of God. Our Father who owns everything in the galaxy, we become heirs part of that family. We become his kids, children out of his loving kindness, not because we deserve it, but we inherit the riches of God, eternal life. John 1.12, Jesus says, yet to all who receive him, uh, John is talking about Jesus, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As his child, we inherit his riches. So I have a question for you. Are you a child of God? You can be. I'm going to play this video. It's called Redeemed, and it's kind of a mixture of where we were and what God has done. Before we go on to the next reminder, I want us to, to think about this. see was the struggle haunted a ghost that lived in my past bound up in shackles of all my failures This prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight. It's already been won. And I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains.
know, the, the first time I heard that song, I was at a, I was at a Teen Challenge uh, event, and I was speaking, it was about three years ago, and Teen Challenges is a kind of a last resort for a lot of people. It's a mixture between a rehab and, and, and kind of incarceration. It's kind of where people go if they don't want to go to prison or if they're not working in rehab. It's not working. It, kind of a last resort. And uh, Teen Challenge began to grow to the point that now they have programs for adult men. And this was a, a Teen Challenge for adult men. So I was in this room with these uh, men who were part of the program who were just struggling to be free from drugs and sexual addiction and, and just the destruction that they left behind. And, and uh, you know, they didn't really have musicians and players up there, but they, a guy got up there, they played this song, and they all, man, these, all these men just began to, I am redeemed. Man, the whole place was just filled with men, just big old husky men with tears streaming down their face. I felt humbled just to be in the presence of people who experience the grace of God in such a powerful way because that's what God does. And so Paul says, remember, remember that was you too. But Christ stepped in. But Christ stepped in. And, and then he says this, by the way, that sound doctrine that Paul is always instructing them to follow, it's this. This is, the, this is the sound doctrine that we are to follow. But then he says this. Here's another reminder in uh, verse 3, I mean chapter uh, 3, verse 8. He says, this is a trustworthy saying then. He says, and I want you to stress these things. I want you to stress this so that those who have been trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is right. That means make sure that those who, who have been redeemed never, ever, 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 ever forget what rat hole they came out of them, how Christ has set them free. These things are excellent and profitable, guys, for everyone. And this is a, a fourth reminder to remember that others need to know this. Others need to know this. If you are rescued and redeemed and you are so thankful and great, you understand what it means to be set free, but yet you are keeping it to yourself? How Hateful, how evil can a person be if you know what freedom is, but yet you let those around you to be shackled in bondage to the chains of their own addiction and pain and sorrow and depression. He says, this is profitable for everyone. Don't forget, remember, others need to know this. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad you remember, and I'm glad you're thankful, but don't forget, others need to know we talk about these things so that we can tell others about these things, about our story, about our new life, about the cross of Jesus, about the grace of God. That's our story. Others need this. Many are lost and confused. They're searching. They're wandering through life. Invite others to know the hope of God. This is our mission. This is the reason why we are alive on earth. We're not saved to go to heaven or we would die the second we say yes to Jesus. Mission accomplished. Go to heaven. We're done. But we're not terrorists. We're people who, who are revolutionaries with love and the grace of God. We are saved and kept alive and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect Jesus because others need to know that will come a day it's known as the second advent, the first one we celebrate as Christmas. But there's coming a second coming of Jesus. And on that day, time will be up. There will be no second chances. But until that day, 
Peter says, God is not slow, as you might assume, but yet he's waiting so that more might know, so that more might be saved, so they might be redeemed, so they might know the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Others need to know this is our mission Compel them to come. Go and tell. Here's the next reminder. Titus 3, 9. He says this, but avoid foolish. That means literally, you want to know what foolish means? Uh, stupid. Avoid stupid conversations or disputes, controversies, sorry. Uh, stupid controversies or disputes and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. You see, the Jewish rabbis that would travel, they would spend their time focusing on opinions and conjecture, telling people that if you want to be a real Christian, then you have to follow the Jewish holidays, you have to get circumcised, you have to think about it. Here's a grown man, 40 years old, lived a Greek life, never been circumcised, and then here comes these Christian dudes who are Jewish going, hey, you really want to be saved? You got to get circumcised. You're like, what? So that probably didn't go over too well. He said, man, don't get all caught up in those arguments and those disruptions. And he says, making up pedigrees and genealogies, arguing about who is more important in the Old Testament. He says, because these are unprofitable. That means they're not helpful. They're divisive. They're useless, as he says. They're unprofitable and useless. So here's the fifth reminder. He says, remind the people that your attitude can negatively affect others' Your attitude can negatively affect others, people, uh, other people's ability to come to know Christ. The big point of this is don't be divisive. Some people just like to argue. They like to look for things to argue about. Paul reminds us, stop it. Just stop. Stop complaining and you know, I don't care if you're a Calvinist or if you're Armenian. I mean, it's a nice discussion. I have my opinion. You have your opinion. But we have unity in Christ. Our position here at Living Way Church is we have unity in the essentials. There are certain things we should hold tight-fisted. There are certain things that we hold tightly. The sound doctrine, the teaching of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the need for salvation, the hope of heaven. We should hold tightly to sound doctrine, but there are just some things that we can have an open hand on and that we can discuss, and I don't have to go down you know, with the ship over a position of Calvinism or Reformation theology or eschatology, the end times, if Jesus is coming back pre, mid, or post, or if there's a, a rapture, or if there's not a rapture, or if, or if what, it, there's an open hand. We hold tightly the unity of sound doctrine. We, hold, we have unity in the essentials. But we have liberty in the non-essentials. And then the Bible says that we should have an attitude of love So we, uh, in all things. So our official doctrinal statement is unity in essentials, Charity, uh, liberty in the non-essentials, and charity or love in all. That means regardless of whether we agree or disagree, we're going to still have a good attitude, a loving, gentle, gracious attitude. So Paul's saying, remind the people to stop bickering over the stupid stuff, hold tight to what is important, and stop being divisive. How we treat others, how we talk to others, how we act with others, what we pick to focus on, some attitudes can be useless and hurtful for others to find Jesus. When the world sees us throwing rocks at each other, <laughs> you know, why would anybody want to be a part of that group? Why would anybody want to be a part of a group where they're doing this all the time? 
there's a Christian over there. <laughs> That's how we live a lot of times, but because we, we focus on the minors instead of holding tightly to sound truth. Here's the, the last thing, Titus 3.10, he says, or second to last, is it warn a divisive person and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. That means confrontation is not easy, but it's necessary. Verse 11, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. I love that word warped. I think that they're twisted. Here's the next reminder. Is it remind the people that some things, however, are worth fighting for. Though we are to hold loosely the non-essentials, there are some things that are worth fighting for. There are some things that we do hold tight. And don't forget that we're not just so, so loosey-goosey about everything that there's no sound doctrine or theology or teaching. There are things that just don't matter, but there are things that do matter, and we should hold tightly to them. Titus tells us there are two things that we should hold tightly to. That is sound doctrine, who Jesus is, what he said he is, and what he's done for us. Hold tightly to that. And number two, hold tightly and fight for unity. We can have both. He says, if there's someone who's divisive, confront them. Paul is teaching us in Titus 1 and 2, fight for the truth. And in Titus 3, he's saying, fight for unity. There comes a time when some people have to be called on the table, and it's not easy, but it's necessary. Unity and confrontation are a delicate dance. And the whole point of confrontation is to get you to a place of unity. Funny thing is, some people, they just don't want to be confronted. They don't want to talk. They don't want to meet because of pride, arrogance, or their lack of submission, or their lack of teachable spirit or heart. And as a result, they're not really in submission or to anybody. They're renegades. God loves them still. And I'll probably see them in heaven, but I'll probably go... Things could have been a little bit better. <laughs> Let's talk about it for the next thousand years. <laughs> Remember, some things are worth fighting for. Apostle Paul closes with these comments. This is the end of the letter. We've made it. Uh, verse 12, he says, As soon as I send Artemis or, or uh, Tychicus, I like that, to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. I love that. He says, hey, come spend the winter with me. <laughs> By the way, you know, they had snow and they had cold weather just like us. They were north of the equator, so they had snow, you know, Rome, Greece, all that. They had blizzard weather. They had, it was, it was chilling. You know, they didn't have, you know, space heaters and air conditioners, but it got just as hot then and just as cold then as it does now. He says, come spend the winter with me. He says, do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way to see what they, uh, make sure they have everything they need. Verse 14, uh, people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. That means those that are coming in, make sure everybody takes care of them. Teach the people not to be selfish, but yet they need to take care of those that are coming in. Remind them to be good hosts, okay? And then he says this, last thing, everyone with me, all my friends, my posse, sends you greetings. I'm from that generation. I still say posse because that's how I roll. Yo. Um, he says, everyone with me, my boys, <laughs> send you greetings. Greet those, <laughs> those friends, my other posse. Greet those who love us in the faith, those that are there with you. 
Grace be with you all. Now he mentions four friends by name, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, Apollos, and then he mentions two other groups, all my homeboys here with me, and then all my friends that are out there with you. He, he mentions a lot of friends, and, and I love how Paul is investing in his current relationships and maintaining his old friendships and looking out for his old relationships and friendships, even if he can't be with them. And this is the last thing, the last reminder is Paul is reminding us that healthy friendships need nurturing. And, and, and I like this attitude. Paul is not some mythical mystery person who's like a robot writing the Bible. Uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, writes. Uh, you know, whew, that was tiring. I'm going to take a nap. And then he sleeps the rest of the day until he gets, oh, another letter. Uh. You know, the thing about Paul, he's a real person who had real friends, who had things that he liked to do, things that he didn't like things that he liked to eat, places he liked to go. I mean, he's like, hey, Titus, make sure you come and spend the winter with me. We're going to have a blast, man. We're going to go skiing. Man, we're going to have a good time. Just come hang out with me. Man, the weather is, is, is great. I know the creek gets really cold, but come up for the winter. I'm going to send Apollos down there and Zenos down there. They're going to make sure everybody takes care of them. You come with me for the winter. Uh, you know, it's just this whole idea of he had people that he liked to hang out with. He had friends that he cared for. And, and here's a big part of this is people may come and go out of our lives, but true friends keep in touch and we nurture those relationships. And I want to be honest with you, as you get older, it gets harder and harder to have friendships because you just move apart, you move away, you get your family, you get your, your life rhythm, and, and all of a sudden you're not talking to those friends anymore. You maybe hear from them every now and then. But Paul is saying, hey, guys, listen, you know, he couldn't pick up the phone. He couldn't Skype Titus. He had to send a letter. And, and, and it, it, it took about, you know, a month and a half to get to Titus, a letter. But he says, hey, man, I haven't forgot about you. I haven't talked to you in a month. I haven't seen I haven't seen you. All I got is a letter. Man, I can't wait to get a letter back from you, Titus. But when you get this letter, make plans to come and spend the winter with me. Let's, let's revive. Let's nurture. Let's care for this friendship that we have. Friendships are hard to maintain. They need to be cherished. They need to be nurtured. They need to be worked on. And Jesus in his humanity had friends. Jesus in his humanity, he laughed. He loved he told a good joke. He cried. The Bible says he even cried for his friends. When he heard that Lazarus had died, knowing that he could raise him from the dead, he still cried because he cared for Lazarus and he saw Mary and Martha and he wept over their pain. He loved them. He loved his friends. It was in his love for his friends that that John writes this, that Jesus said this in John 15. He says, there's no greater love than this than, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I want to end with this thought. Church is not a building. Church is people. Church is friendships and families living their best to lift up and reflect Jesus in our lifestyle, actions, words, and deeds so that you, so that the world might see Jesus in us. So I want to challenge us. We head into the winter season. I want to spend the winter with you. I want to 
build that relationship. So we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. We will not have Christmas Day service because it falls on a Sunday. We will have a Christmas Eve service right here in this theater. So if you're in town, come. If you're out of town, you're still family. I'll, I'll love you from a distance, wherever you're at. But let's, let's, let's make sure that we're nurturing our friendships. And I find that a big part of that is being in a small group because people that aren't in a small group tend to to fall away because they don't have the relationship of, of friends that keep them knit. So I want to encourage you, uh, let's be family. All right, I'm going to have our band come forward and I'm going to pray. And uh, man, remember who you are before Christ and what Christ has done in you. I want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. Maybe you have never said yes to Jesus. I want to give you that chance right now. You can have a before and after story. You need a fresh start. You need a new beginning. You need a, a redo. You need a remake. You need a renewal. You need a chance to start new. You need the slate wiped clean. That's what Christ does. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you uh, has stepped into the scene. God, that you sent your one and only begotten son, that, that God, you took on human flesh and you walked among us. And, and God, you became friends with those that were around you and you loved them and you laughed with them and you set an example for us on how to have and keep and to, to nurture good friendships. But God, more than that, you gave your life for us. You died on a cross that should have been ours. You took the judgment that was due to us. And because of that, Father, we can be made new. Our dead spirit can be made alive in you. Anyone who believes that you are who you say that you are and that you've done what you've said you've done, then God, we can become children of God. And I want to give you that chance right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you would like to become a child of God, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Very simply, let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me, dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I want to start over. Show me how to walk with you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that makes me new. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.